everybody. We're back in the studio today talking to professional doula Emily Bruno. Um, we're going to touch base a little bit today about choosing the right provider, finding your voice, asking the right questions, um, and making sure you get that birth um, that you want. And even when you don't, making sure you have the care provider and the support system um, to work through it. So I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Latch Mama Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Wirt, business owner and tired mom of five. Join us each week as we talk about pregnancy, nursing, parenting, and all things motherhood. Um, Emily is our resident doula expert. She is here to talk about birth and um, everything that goes along with pregnancy and the fun stuff that leads us all to hopefully eventually breastfeeding in this lovely community. How are you? I am well. Thank you for having me back. You're welcome. Anytime. So I was thinking the other day about kind of how we've gotten here and how I have this wonderful business, but I also have an awesome family. And I was thinking about all my births and you know, those like pivotal decisions that you make in life where you look back on them and you're like, hell yeah, like that was an awesome one. Mm -hmm. And you don't really know how you ever really landed there. And when you made the decision, you didn't really think it was a big deal, but you just did it. And all of a sudden it like kind of changed the course of your life. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking like when I first got pregnant, um, my oldest child will be eight in April. Um, I don't know why, but I found my way to a midwife Mm -hmm. and I found my way to a birth center at the time that was kind of attached to a hospital. It was brand new. Um, It didn't really have a whole lot of, uh, of data behind it or success or reviews. I didn't know anything about it, but for some reason I found my way there. Um, I think I probably had watched the business of being born like most people do Mm -hmm. um, before they find their way to something different um, in terms of birth. But I found my way to a midwife and it 100% transformed how I had that baby and how I had the four later babies as well. So I wanted to kind of chat today about kind of care providers and different choices that we all have when we find out that we're pregnant um, and the different kind of ways we can be treated throughout pregnancy and through birth and, and once again, kind of why it all matters a little bit. Um, because I had amazing experiences and at the end of the day, I, I'm proud of myself, but I also am very happy with kind of the decisions that I've made in terms of care providers and stuff like that. Yeah. So I assume as a doula, you, you, I don't know if you could ask this or you, you have the opportunity of seeing a lot of different care providers in action and just kind of wanted to dive in a little bit and see, you know, why does it matter? And yeah. you know the different outcomes that, that can come about through the different decisions we make. Definitely. Um, when, uh, when you were talking about your birth just now and how you kind of like stumbled into the birth center, mm-hmm. I was thinking about a little bit about my own birth experiences yeah. because um, I've been a doula for 13 years and my oldest is 11 and a half. So if you do the math, I became a doula a year and a half before I welcomed my own first child. And I, um, I changed providers when I was about seven months pregnant from a hospital based midwifery group to 
um, a home birth midwife. Which I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. It's okay to change providers. And 100%. I think that that's like one of those misnomers that people have that like they have to have the person who's been giving them pap smear since they were 18. Right. Help them have a baby. Right. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely. And no. you can change throughout your pregnancy. You can change yeah. up until you're, I mean. I mean, I have, I have not personally been there when this happens, but I have talked to people who have left one hospital in labor to arrive at another one to have their baby there so because the, they want to get the because they're not getting the care that they want at the first hospital so like you really can at any point it's your body and your baby and you can do whatever you want to do with it absolutely so yeah so I when I changed providers at that time I had no idea how critical it was going to be to my long-term mental health and physical health. Absolutely. Because as it turns out, I had a transfer with my home birth to the hospital and I ended up having a C-section. And I'm certain, I there is not a piece of doubt in my mind that my C-section was necessary. Like it made the critical difference um, between life and death for at least my daughter, if not maybe both of us. Um, it wasn't an emergency, it was just necessary. Um, did you know, did you, sorry, I didn't interrupt no, you, okay. but did you know going into the transfer situation and going to get the C-section mm -hmm. that this, th this was the option of having your baby, like this, this was how your baby was supposed to be born? No, I was still hoping for a vaginal birth. Okay. So the very, very abbreviated version of my birth story for my first is that I labor started at home. Um, I labored for about the first 24 hours or 30 hours, something like that at home. Um, but uh, it became obvious that I was stuck at eight centimeters and it was no longer what's considered normal mm -hmm. for a home birth. It wasn't unsafe. It was just that we needed to use some tools. So the goal with going to the hospital is to use the tools, get the epidural, get the Pitocin, have a baby. Um, and... Um, I ended up getting both of those things, which were amazing. And I got to 10 centimeters or completely dilated. And I pushed for a couple of hours, um, but uh, she was absolutely not going to come out. And I ended up having a C-section. Now, I can talk about it without crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a totally different story back then. And in the moment, it was awful. Like it was a really, really awful decision. Like I bawled for a while before I met my baby. Um, the, the, the thing that is critical for me is that when I look back at my birth, every single decision from start to finish was mine. Like with hindsight, I know that my midwife probably would have done a bunch of different stuff earlier on if I'd given her permission to do it, but I hadn't and they were my choices. And then in the hospital, they were my choices. And, and I have all of these memories of my midwife and my doula and my husband asking me what I wanted to do and talking through options with me. And it's that ownership of my birth experience Absolutely. that makes it now positive and something that I can look back on and talk about in a really, a really healthy way. Um, did your midwife so, follow you to the hospital? So she, she did. Yes. Okay. So she was with me. Uh, she and my doula were with us at the hospital and um, there when uh, I met my daughter in the OR with me and everything, um, helping with the first latch, 
just taking care of me, all of those things. So I, I know that it's out there. I've experienced it myself. I know the difference that, um, you know, talking through options and choices can make. And, and it really is why um, I talk so much about uh, this subject with my clients and my, my students in, in classes. So basically, if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that with the proper team in place mm-hmm. and with the proper lines of communication, mm-hmm. even a birth that goes completely differently than you ever expected, yeah, you can still talk about it with a smile on your face yeah. and know that it was the way it was supposed to be. Yeah, because it was mine. It was mine. Everything. Start to finish. All of my choices. Um, and yeah. So how... How do we get there? How do you find? Uh, see, the funny part about all of this is that Emily and I share the same midwife, and she's <laughs> she's 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 pretty much a, a little bit of a I, I don't I don't know what we want to exactly call her, other than I don't think that there are many of her right. um, in this world. But she's very special. But I I assume that midwifery care in general is going to give you some of those same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, opportunities and, and gifts that she's given both of us. Yeah. So where, where do we go? Like, how do we, how do we find our way to the right person to help us have a baby? Right. Well, so first I think it's important for people to just have a little bit of an understanding about like what we know will lead to, um, a safer birth, healthier outcomes. Um, and I and always in healthier, you mean not just a healthy baby, healthy mommy. Like yes. We're talking all levels of health, mental health, spiritual health, physical health, okay. everything. Um, and, and when I, when I like ruminate on birth and, and, um, and pregnancy, and when I talk to clients and students about it, um, uh, I start with this understanding of like, the fact that we're we're mammals and we're made to to give birth, um, and that uh, science and the medical community, kind of in general, has an understanding that physiologic birth um, leads to better outcomes. And by physiologic birth, I mean birth without a lot of interventions or unnecessary interventions. Um, and then it goes beyond that into the way that we're treated and the environment in which we give birth. We, we know that um, we're going to be more relaxed in um, a private space with low lights, with doors closed, with gentle voices, with soft touch, um, uh, in an environment where we feel safe and uh, all of the hormones that we need for our labor to progress are, are able to be produced because we feel safe and like we can do it. So physiologic birth has many components. It's, it's the quiet, it's the privacy, it's um, uh, being able to push in positions that feel comfortable for us to be able to be active and moving and upright in labor. Um, It extends into the postpartum with keeping our babies close, doing skin to skin, being able to talk with them and to bond, um, being able to nurse on demand and with frequency. So, so if the studies are there mm-hmm. and we know all of the things that you just mentioned mm-hmm. lead to more successful births, mm-hmm. then why is that not 
what birth looks like most of the time or why is that not even how it's depicted in the media or well i'm gonna be a little facetious here but you can't bill for low lights yeah you know you can't bill for soft touch yeah but you can bill for a medication that's being administered um it's really it's really just that the the system that we've built to birth our babies in is one that's designed for um ease of data collection um for um profit i mean we are a medical system that's designed to to turn a profit um it's not designed for best outcomes and this isn't just my opinion i mean in the developed world the united states ranks last for (laughs) maternal and infant morbidity and mortality like we are not saving any mothers or babies by doing more surgeries and having more interventions um in fact, we know that we're we're losing them, and we're um, and we're having a lot of like near death experiences. We we tally the maternal deaths, but when we look at just like the maternal injuries or the um, infant injuries and hospital stays and stuff, then the the numbers get even crazier. Yeah, so, and then you even take a step further back and you say, you know, well, also how many women are we sending home that haven't had this birth that went the way that it probably could have or should Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. and we're sending them home and now we're looking at you know depression and anxiety and things that didn't necessarily need to be there yeah because we forced them into some sort of birth situation that was not you know as as preferred as it could have Mm -hmm. been or, or optimal, optimal for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, so I am a, I'm a C-section mom. I had a C-section again, like absolutely medically necessary. And I want to, I want to put a little caveat here that I, I think that even if somebody says like just decides on their own, I'm, I want to have an elective cesarean that that is their right. Absolutely. Like every person giving birth um, should be able to make the decision that's going to be best for them, like end of story. But I think that we need more information to be able to make those confident decisions. So I had a C-section and then I had a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean uh, with my son. Um, so I, I, I have personally experienced both. Um, I can say as a mom, as a doula, as a childbirth educator, as a person in America, I can say that C-sections are necessary and that I'm thankful for them. And I can also say that we're doing way too many, like way too many. Our cesarean rate is actually climbing again. It was going down for about eight years and now we're on an uptick again. So it's about one in three uh, birthing people in America that are having a C-section. so that's about 33%. Um, the World Health Organization and the CDC and the National Institute of Health and the Healthy People 2020 Initiative, all these different organizations, they all agree that our safe cesarean rate in the U.S. should actually be between 10 and 15%. They say if we're doing any less than 10%, then we're having some unnecessary injuries to people, things that could be prevented by Mm C-sections. And if we're doing any more than 15%, then we are unnecessarily harming people um, with the complications that are associated with cesarean birth. So we should be between 10 and 15%, and we're actually at 33%. Again, I had a C-section, thankful for it, but I can also tell you that C-sections have a lot of 
uh, immediate and long-term complications and health risks associated with them. So when we're choosing our providers and when we're learning about how we want to have our babies and how we want to welcome them and what's going to be optimal for, for our health and well-being, we really need to start with this understanding that when we can safely get the vaginal birth, it is going to be healthier for the birthing person and for the baby the overwhelming majority of the time. So we have to start with that basic understanding. And then from there, we can move forward with how we want to give birth, choosing our provider, and exploring all of those options. But it, but it is why it's critical. And sorry, I know you were about to say something, but real quick, while this thought is in <laughs> my head. Emily is very passionate about this, <laughs> if anybody can While tell. this thought, I talk about it a lot. While <laughs> this thought is in my head, there are providers out there that have a cesarean rate of between 10 and 15%. Like physicians, I can make a mental list in my head right now of doctors in Richmond that I know are keeping their C-section rate between 10 and 15%. And I also know that there are doctors in Richmond that are doing C-sections on more than 70% of their patients. And, and, and that, that story repeats across the country. You get down into like the deep south, like uh, Mississippi, for example. There are hospitals with 88% cesarean rates. It is sickening. So are you allowed to just ask a physician what their C-section rate is? Is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Will they and tell if, you if Well, truth? isn't no, C <laughs> now. I think any provider worth their salt should know what their cesarean rate is. They should know what it is for that month, that year. Like they should know the rates of the other providers in their practice. And they should be forthcoming with that information. And if they're not, that's a red flag that maybe they aren't providing evidence-based and optimal care. So. Wow. Okay. So where do we go from here? (laughs) I mean, I know I'm a fan of midwives, Yeah, but they're not the option for, they're not everywhere. Correct. Correct. Well, so nurse midwives are legal in every state, can practice in every state. Um, And nurse midwives have... Um, a master's level education. So they are care providers. They can do all of the same things in pregnancy that a doctor can do short of surgical birth. So they can't do a vacuum. They can't do forceps. They can't do cesarean birth or C-section, but everything else they can do in prenatal care. And therefore low risk pregnancies for um, healthy moms, healthy babies. And then um, yeah, they're legal and able to practice in all 50 states. Uh, We need more of them. We don't have access in like every city or every town to them. Uh, But even if you don't have access to a midwife, you can still get access to evidence-based care. Um, So that's what we um, try to help encourage people to advocate for and to find. And, you know, sometimes people are going to have a a high-risk pregnancy. Maybe it's hypertension or gestational diabetes or maternal age or whatever it might be. Uh, multiples, things where it's going to require having an OBGYN to provide their care for them. That's okay. That's great. Um, You can still go into your appointments and your birth expecting to um, be an active participant, like the decider, the decision maker for everything that happens. And you can still expect and demand um, respectful care from your provider, evidence-based care. It's so funny to sit here and 
talk to you. You haven't been pregnant in a while and I've not pregnant right now. I just came off of birth. But it's interesting because, you know, I have this like, yeah, yeah, women need to speak up for themselves. They need to do this. They need to do that. But pregnancy in general emotionally can make you feel a little bit more vulnerable. It can make you feel, you know, a a little bit less strong in terms of your voice. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so interesting to me because women do tend to lose their voices a little bit and they do tend to kind of just shrivel back to, you know, the, the standard person who they've been seeing or, you know, it, it also is such an overwhelming time that it may feel overwhelming to change care providers mm-hmm. or start over again, or even the insurance aspect of oh, it I alone know. is like, Hey, how do I, how do I stop care here when I've been paying them? And I know it doesn't feel right, but isn't it just easier to stay here and just see what, what happens happens. Mm-hmm. It's, we hear it all. And yeah. it's so sad and terrifying to me because I know how much it matters. Right. Well, and I, I don't expect that I can fix anything. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't think it's my responsibility to fix anything. Um, I agree with everything that you said. Um, That message is out there. At least you have a healthy baby. Like, uh, it's infuriating. I I know so many people that have heard that like, yeah, that happened to you. It's really sad. I'm sorry. Uh, But at least you have a healthy baby. And I can't change that. I can't make those people not say that. But what I can do is tell every pregnant person that I meet, I can tell them you matter and the way that you feel matters. And yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course you want a healthy baby. Like that's, that goes without saying, that's like the foundation of knowledge here, but it goes so far beyond that. And just because you also want to be well taken care of and respected and safe, that doesn't mean that you don't want a healthy baby. Just because you want to ask questions and you're concerned about like what happens to your vagina or what happens to your um, long-term blood pressure or your abdomen or your pelvic floor or whatever, like just because you care about that doesn't mean you don't also care about your baby and want them to be as healthy as possible. Like we can have both. a healthy mom and a healthy baby and a safe and satisfying birth experience are not mutually exclusive things. Like we can and should have all of it. Like, girl, you can have it all. <laughs> like, I want you to know that you matter. Absolutely. So yeah, I can't, we can't fix that other message out there. But I think that we can combat it by just telling people over and over, you matter and the way that you are treated matters and nothing should be done to you. And what we know about like, um, postpartum depression and post traumatic stress disorder, things that are very common now, um, uh, in pregnancy and postpartum, in fact, um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which is depression and anxiety and PTSD, Um, things that happen in that perinatal period. So it's like through pregnancy and that one year postpartum. Mm -hmm. It's now occurring with one in five people. This is now the most common complication of pregnancy. Most people don't know that. And most people don't know that we can alleviate some of that by getting better care when we give birth. Because what we know about PTSD and trauma and depression in the postpartum for birth in particular 
is that as levels of intervention rise, and as levels of conversation decrease, we see higher rates of depression and trauma. It's and so, so we can, so even, so so what we know is that if your birth goes sideways mm-hmm. like mine did, and you need all of the those interventions, that we can reduce our risk of trauma by talking through it. And by, even like talking through it, talking through it while it's happening, yes. but then also having the ability to talk through it on the other side. Yep. And that's something like I never had the experience of having a baby and then not talking to a care provider for six weeks. Right. And then walking in and being put in this, you know, machine where they have me fill out a a piece of paper that asks how I'm feeling and if I'm sad and they take my blood pressure and they ask me how breastfeeding's going and then they send me on my way. Right. And I know not all physicians are like that. Oh, you can have sex now if you'd like. Exactly. And it's it's mind boggling to me. And once again, I feel incredibly grateful for just kind of my childbearing years having not had to experience that. But I can't even imagine walking into motherhood and that being the follow up care. Mm -hmm. And especially, especially if a birth goes sideways or or birth goes not how it was planned. Even if something as simple as you know, getting an an epidural when you were wanted to have a natural birth. Yeah. Just not even having somebody to listen to you is yeah. incredible to me. Yeah. And and I have to also say that I have a lot of empathy for those providers that aren't able to provide Absolutely. the care that you just described because the system is not designed for it. Like I feel really bad for doctors that have to see 30 patients a day. Like how can you possibly check in and tune in to each of those patients and provide the level of care that you want to. But but that's just how the system is designed. So a few minutes ago, you talked about the fact that if a physician wouldn't openly share their C-section rate, it was a red flag. Mm-hmm. Are there other questions we should be asking that of our care providers that might be able to tell us, you know, what kind of birth they may or may not be able to help us achieve? Yeah, definitely. So I think it's good to start with an understanding as the pregnant person of what you might want for your birth and go in with that if you're if you're able to. Um, Because if you want um, uh, a low intervention or unmedicated birth or birth without an epidural, and your provider uh, doesn't do those often, and you know, eighty percent of their patients are getting epidurals. Then maybe that's not the provider for you. And then the flip side of that is, if you know that you want an epidural and um, you want to, uh, you know, get there early and get your epidural and get comfy and. Um, take whatever interventions might come your way, then the provider that specializes in the the birth without an epidural and water birth and stuff, maybe that's not the right practice for you, you know? So start with an understanding of what you might want. And then once you have an understanding of what you want, ask your provider, and this can be the provider that you're already working with, or this can be questions that you ask when you go to like interview them. Um, You can go meet a provider without having to transfer your medical records. People can just schedule an office visit to get in with that midwife or physician to, to talk about things before they go ahead and like completely, you know, change their care. Um, So start out asking them just to describe what their philosophy 
um, and beliefs are about birth. Like what's their, what's their approach to birth? Um, if, uh, if their approach to birth is, um, well, you know, we get to 40 weeks and, um, we see how it goes. And if you haven't had a baby, we schedule your induction and you go ahead and come in and I'll just take care of you. And I'll just, you know, you'll have your baby. Maybe that's not going to gel with the person that wants to be very involved in their birth process, avoid an induction, um, make their own choices and decisions. Uh, so yeah, asking them to just describe what their philosophies and beliefs are around birth is, a, I think, a really great place, place to start. start. <laughs> <laughs> so... Sorry. <laughs> uh, we'll go ahead and at, at the 18 minute mark, going to have to come back in here. I mean, I think, I think that that's, that's a fantastic question. I, it would be interesting to, to know kind of how that's normally responded to and, and processed from a care provider standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, any other advice you would give in terms of, choosing a care provider or finding a voice or, you know, I, I feel like all I ever want to do and I, it's really hard to do through the internet is when people reach out to us is just encourage them. If something doesn't feel right to open their mouths and to, and to explore it further because eventually the baby comes and if you, if you've stewed over it or you've said, Hey, this doesn't feel right. Or this, this isn't maybe what I want. That baby's going to come if you, if you sit back long enough and, Mm -hmm. and wait and don't make the change. Mm -hmm. Um, so I more than anything want to be able to give people the confidence that if they don't feel like they're in the right spot, they're not feeling like they're being heard or listened to, that it really does matter. Yeah. And- well, so I tell people, even if you can't remember all of the statistics and the things that I talk about, the evidence, all these different things, go into it with an expectation that you should be able to talk to your provider. And if you get into that first appointment or it's your 15th or 20th and you feel like you aren't... Like, like if you don't feel safe asking them questions, whatever it might be, um, and safe as in like, uh, you don't feel embarrassed or maybe it's easier for me to say, you should feel confident asking your provider questions and you should feel confident they're going to take the time to listen to you and then answer them to the best of their ability. And if you don't feel like you can ask an appointment or a question in your appointment, then how can you expect to feel safe asking questions in your birth? So start it in the appointments and trust your gut. Like if, if you dread your appointments, if you feel embarrassed or shy about asking questions, if, if you think that it's going to be a stupid question and that you're holding it in because you think you're going to get mocked or made fun of or or something. Or you feel like you're not even allowed to ask questions. Yes. Then, 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 then that's, I think a big thing to um, to consider. So find the provider that you feel comfortable talking to, because they are going to end up being a huge part of your life. And, um, and your safety is going to be in their hands. And you really, I hope, should feel um, comfortable asking whatever question you might need to ask uh, to find that confidence in your birth. And just remember, I feel like they look at vaginas all day long, mm-hmm. like just because they've 
been in your vagina mm-hmm. does not make it mean that you have to stay with them forever. Yeah. Like, I feel like people always feel like yeah. this very intimate connection mm-hmm. because of the position and because of the type of doctor that they are. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know. Yeah. And I tell people, you can always go back. You can always go back for the rest of your life for every pap after that. You can always go back to them. They don't have to be there. And the way that most practices are designed, many physicians are only actually there for the birth of between 40 and 60% of their patients anyway. So there's just like a, you know, a 50-50 shot that they won't even be there for the birth. So yeah, find the provider that you feel confident with. And um, we talked briefly about C-section rates, Mm -hmm. asking the provider their C-section rate. Another big one, I think, um, is to ask them their episiotomy rates. So I've seen... (laughs) Open a whole other can of worms. (laughs) Is that a pun? No. Um, So for anybody that doesn't know, an episiotomy (laughs) is where they take a pair of scissors and they cut your vagina to open it, your vagina and your perineum. And the idea is that they're going to make it bigger and get the baby out faster. And they used to do this all the time. Um, Almost every birth in America, they did an episiotomy, especially if it was in a hospital. Um, But now we know, like we have mountains of research that tell us that episiotomies uh, are really dangerous. They don't heal well. There's higher rates of infection. Um, people are more likely to have a tear that extends through their rectum and to have incontinence. Um, and this is not improving outcomes for babies. So so the recommendation is that episiotomies should be happening in less than 1% of people that are having a vaginal birth. Like there are very, very few occasions when one is necessary. And I've heard a wide range of answers to this question when it's posed to providers. And I'd say like the two extremes um, with uh, uh, the answer, uh, the, the best answer I've ever heard was from a midwife who said, our hospital has a 0.47% episiotomy rate. So like less than half of 1% of their patients are getting an episiotomy. So they're not doing them. Yes, they're not doing them basically. And then the worst answer I've ever heard was a doctor who said, well, I'll just worry about that. You don't have to. If I think that you need one, I'll just give you one. So, like, for anybody that's uncertain, that's but the you have bad to ask answer. the question. You've <laughs> yeah. got to find the confidence, and you've got to find the knowledge and the education to know that you deserve to ask it. And yeah, know what you want is the answer. Yeah, really. I, I mean, I guess it comes back to again, just knowing that you should be able to, as the pregnant person, ask anything that you want to ask, and you deserve a respectful answer and a provider that's going to take the time to like really consider why you're asking it and what you want to know and and give you the answer that you need so that you feel like you can make any decision that you want to. Cool. Yeah. So you want to come back and talk about VBACs at some point? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, you know I do. <laughs> the smile's very big on that one. Cool. So thanks, Emily. Oh, and, thank uh, you. We'll come back and we'll chat about some VBACs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and if I could just say... Um, we answer a lot of questions on our Facebook and our Absolutely. Instagram and people are welcome to find me on there. It's um, the same handle, my birth RVA, uh, M-Y-B-I-R-T-H-R-V-A. If anybody wants to hit me up with some birth questions. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 